haven't fashioned any little figurines out of wood or metal lately, um, and you're certainly not like physically bowing down to them, but at times we're all kind of guilty of having idols in our heart, things that we would say, that's most important to me, that's what I'm pursuing, that's what I'm going after. Isn't it good that every week we get an opportunity to kind of come around and just reorient our minds around the truth, get our hearts in this place. He alone is God. There is no other. And He deserves to be worshipped. Amen. I believe we've done that. So we're going to continue to worship Him, but we're going to do it by listening to His Word. So I'd invite you to find your seats and take your Bibles with you. If you take your Bibles and go with me to the book of Ephesians, if you don't have a Bible, you can slip your hand in the air. One of our ushers would be glad to give you one. We want you to have a copy of God's Word in front of you. Uh, We are going to be in Ephesians chapter 4 today. And uh, just so you know, Ephesians chapter 4, I want to recap a little bit where we've been. We've just finished the first half of this book and we have been looking into the mirror of God's Word. And so I brought my mirror with me today uh, this is the opportunity for us to kind of look and see, this is, this is what we've been looking at in the book of Ephesians. We've been looking into this mirror, and remember, here's what we're seeing. The contents of this mirror are in Christ. So when we're looking into these truths, we're seeing who we are in Jesus. And, and as, if, if we were to go through these chapters, chapter 1, we saw this, we are, we are chosen, and we have hope and we can see, chapter 2, we saw that we are God's masterpiece, and we are reconciled. Then we got into chapter 3, we saw Paul's example, and it was this really question for us, are we all in? And then last week, as Ben was preaching to us, we saw this, that we are strengthened. And so, at the end of Ephesians chapter 3, we hit halftime, so now it's time for the second half. Y'all ready for this? Cue intro music, right? No, actually, let's, uh, let's just read it. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, if you're there, follow along with me as I read verse 1. Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Father, would you meet with us this morning? We love, love to open your word. We love that you have given us this revelation that we could know you. And I pray that you would massage these truths deep into our souls, that we would love you, we would delight in you, see that you are, Lord, you're better than anything. And we want to be obedient to you. And we recognize even in that that we need your help. So we're praying expecting, as we saw last week, we're praying to the God who is able to do far more abundantly than we ask or imagine. To you be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. And all God's people said, well, let's just dive in here, shall we? Chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says this, I therefore... Now, whenever you see the word therefore in Scripture, you need to ask this question, what's it there for? 
Uh, it is a transition word, and it's basically connecting some ideas. Here's what Paul's saying. Everything I'm about to say to you is because of what I've just said. And, and so uh, we, we, we're really looking at all three of the first three chapters in this. And here in chapter four, there is a major transition from heavy on the doctrine to heavy on the application. Can you sense that transition? Can you sense that? Here, the first three chapters is a lot of theology. Basically, it's Paul saying, here's what you need to know. And then the last three chapters, verses chapters four through six, are here's what you need to then do. Because how you live matters. And the rest of the book of Ephesians is just filled with all sorts of practical application. Is anybody thankful that the Bible is really practical? God has called us to something different, something higher. And the question is, are we going to live like it? As we've seen here in verse 1, will we walk worthy of that calling? In fact, that's the title and our big idea if you're taking notes. We, this is who we are in Christ. We walk worthy. So, if we're going to walk worthy, then I think in the text we see two directions this morning. Here's one. Note this. We need you to move your feet. Move your feet. Verse 1, he says, I therefore a, a prisoner for the Lord. That's, that's Paul's way of saying I'm like all in. That's just an example, right? I'm so all in, I'm in prison. I am suffering for Jesus. And that's not him like bragging about that. He's really just trying to tell you he is worth it. He is so worth your radical, on fire, unafraid, all in, passionate pursuit of him and his mission. I'm all in. And I'm urging you. That, that word urge means literally to call to one side. It means like, hey, guys, come on, come on over here. Like, I want to talk to you for a minute. I just, can, can we, can, I just want you to feel the weight and the importance of what I'm about to say to you. And he's urging you. Notice that word you is not singular. It's plural. So we would translate it like you all, or y'all, or use guys, depending on which part of the country from which you hail, right? But, but really what he's not saying is like, I want to talk to you privately. It's more like, hey, we need to have a family chat. Hey, hey church, hey, church, can we just have some real talk for a minute? We, we just need to talk together. I'm urging you to what? To what? I'm urging you to walk. That word is used seven times in this letter. And every single one of them, Paul is using figuratively. He's not talking about like you physically putting one foot in front of the other. He's talking about your behavior. It's the way you live. It's what you do. So Paul is calling us to action. Another way of saying it is this. Move your feet. It's time to get going. I want you to put this into action. Because Paul is not interested in the Ephesians just merely learning some, some interesting facts and knowing some theology. That's not why he wrote the letter. He is expecting that they're going to make changes in the way that they live. Now, we are a Bible church here at Harvest Bible Chapel. We love to open up our Bibles. We love to know our Bibles. But we are not interested in you just knowing some facts about the Bible. We've said it like this. We don't, we don't want to make biblical fatheads that are better prepared for things like, I don't know, Bible trivia board games or something like that. That's a thing, by the way. You can Google it. It's quite impressive. Now, some of you might need those Bible trivia board games because you do need to know your Bible. We want you to know your Bible. But this is not just an exercise for the mind. 
Paul is telling us, I want you to move your feet. Don't just sit there thinking. I want you to get up and start walking. Do this for me. I want everybody to look down at your feet for a minute. Everybody look down at your feet. Don't look at everybody. Don't look at the person next to you. Look at your feet. Look at your shoes that you have. Some of you have some really nice shoes. Some of you just now realized that you walked out of the house with slippers on and you forgot. Uh, But I wore my uh, chucks today because these are my holy shoes. They literally have holes in them. And you can see they're old and uh, tattered. And I've been wearing these for years. I had to get special permission to wear these. Normally, uh, I have to... um, uh, get my attire approved by my lovely wife before I walk out of the house, for which you should be very grateful. Uh, but I was allowed to do this for this illustration because here's the deal. I know this is really silly, but here's the deal. We don't want you to look down at your feet spiritually and see shoes that look like they just came out of the box. They haven't worn these around. What Paul is telling you is I want you to move your feet. I want you to put some mileage on those feet. We don't want to be a church that's out of shape spiritually. So when you hear the Word of God, it's not just time to sit back and soak it all in. Here would be a really good time for you. You're going to help your neighbor, okay? Because I know some of you are just waking up. You're going to help your neighbor right now. You're going to turn to them. You're going to help them by this. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and tell them this? Don't just sit there. Come on, go ahead and tell them. Don't just sit there. Don't just sit there. Paul is saying there's an urgency to get up and get Moving, James chapter 1, verse 22, he says, be doers of the word and not hearers only. Now listen, I want you to hear God's word. I want so badly for you to hear the word of God. But even more than that, there's an urgency that when you hear it, you want to do it. We want to apply the Bible when it is preached, when we read it, when we hear it. We want to move our feet because our walk matters, which is why Psalm 8611 Psalm 86.11, he says, teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. You may want to note this one, Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 30, verse 21. Isaiah 30, 21 says, this is the way, walk in it. God, I want to know what is the way? How am I supposed to live? What am I supposed to do? And when I see it, when I hear it, I get up and I get moving. I walk in it. Now, we never want to be accused of being a lazy, out-of-shape church that's only interested in puffing up our heads with knowledge. That's why all of our preaching and all of our our discussions in small groups are all kind of focused and driving us towards application. Do you feel that? So let me ask you this. Are you moving your feet? Are you moving your feet on Sunday mornings? Do you come knowing that God might show me something in His Word? He might lay the way out for me and tell me, this is the way. I want you to walk in it. Do you you sense that he's moving? Do you sense that he's calling you? Do you sense that he's laying this path out for you? Convicting you of sin. Showing you the way that you're supposed to live. Are you moving your feet on Sunday morning? What about small group? Are you moving your feet because of small group? We get together and we talk about these things. We talk about like, what, what does this look like in our world? What does this look like in, 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 uh, at your workplace? How does this apply even in your house? And we're, we're urging one another. We're stirring one another up to love and good deeds. Are you moving your feet based on that? And then I know in our small group, we, we, we break up. We get, the, we get the guys and the, the ladies. We spend some time even going even further in that. We want to like hold one another accountable to these things. Do you hear what God is saying? Are you putting this into action? Are you moving your feet because of small group? How about your 
How about your personal time in God's Word? When you're picking up this book in the morning and you open it up and you read it. Can I just, I know that I, like you're going to be shocked that I'm confessing this as your pastor, but there are days when um, I forget to move my feet after reading God's Word. Sometimes I think that that's the doing. Like, I did it. I read my Bible. Check. But when we're reading Scripture, when we hear this, when God, God is pressing on our heart, am I, am I moving my feet saying, God, I want to apply this today. I want to be obedient to Your Word. When You say this is the way, I want to walk in it. Are we moving our feet? Now, we have to be really careful here. We have to be really careful because um, I, I hope you get this sense that we we preach God's word unapologetically. We just do. But unapologetic preaching that de- opens up this book and declares, thus says the Lord, that cannot be mere moralism. What do I mean by that? Well, well I mean this. If all you hear when you come to church is a bunch of like, do this, do this, do this, seven points to your best life now, three if we're really good Baptists, or, or like, here's how to upgrade to you 2.0. If that's all you hear when you come to church, then you need to be really concerned. We don't want you to just hear a bunch of, a list of rules of do's and don'ts. You need to know this. The commands are grounded in the gospel. Look at it, verse 1. A prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to walk, here it is, in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Listen, listen, listen. You need to note this. Who you are determines how you live. Who you are determines how you live. The gospel will not allow us to turn the Bible into just some mere moralistic how-to manual for a better life. Certainly it is instructive. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, it says, All Scripture is breathed out by God. It is profitable for teaching, for correction and reproof, and equipping every training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete, equipped in every good work. It is useful for that. But notice that when Paul starts his letter, he doesn't just whip out the rule book and start coming at us with commands. That's not the letter. Like, what's up Ephesians? Do this, do this, do this. Love Paul. That's not how he does this in the letter. The scriptures are, it does give us the how-to, but it is grounded in the transformation of who we are in Christ. This is who we are. Don't miss the significance of all that he said in chapters 1 through 3. He's grounding all of this here. Now the reason I feel like we really need to hit this is you're going to notice that our stride as we get into the second half of Ephesians is going to slow down a little bit. There's so much here. And you're going to hear a lot of messages where it really is calling us to action. And you're going to hear a lot of do's. Don't do this. I don't want you to get the impression that that's just a list of rules and don'ts that you could somehow just try a little harder. These things are grounded in who we are in Christ because the gospel keeps us from being legalists. Legalism is following the rules so that you can just get in good with God. It's kind of treating God like some vending machine. Like if I, if I do this, if I put in some good works over here, then I get out whatever I want, right? So, so it's, it's kind of, I'm paying for it. I'm earning it. That's, that, it's really looking at God as though I need to pry blessings out of his cold, stingy hands. Like he really doesn't want to give them to me, but, but I'm going to earn it. I'm going to pay for it. And that kind of view of God 
uses commands. It loves lists. And it uses those things to promote self-sufficiency. That's kind of baptized in religious talk. Like we just need to be better. We need to do, do more. We need to try harder with a, with a little bit of I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But that's not what we're interested in. That's not what the gospel is telling us. That, that view of God is looking at him as though he's, he's not really good. He really can't be trusted. You've got to do it on your own. But the gospel kills legalism because it corrects our understanding of him. As we open the pages of scripture, we see the glory of Christ on display and we are plunged again into this vast ocean of his love and his grace which is continually at work in us transforming us to be more like his son. The point is not that we would look in the mirror and we'd be like, man, I'm impressive. The point is that we would see Jesus. We would see all that he's done. We would see what he's doing in our lives. God is doing a work in here and therefore, move your feet. We want to be obedient to these things. Because the gospel keeps us from being legalists and it motivates our holiness to keep us from being hypocrites. Can we just be honest? Like, people know. People know that we're supposed to be different, right? And nobody wants to be a hypocrite. Somebody who says one thing but does another. We, we've said it this way. Your, your walk talks and your talk talks but your walk talks louder than your talk talks, right? You can talk the talk. You can say you believe in Jesus. You can buy the t-shirt. You can like the posts. But if Jesus does not factor into your decisions on the weekends, if there's not a radical difference in your priorities and your values because of the claims and the commands of Jesus, then we know it's fake. And we can smell fake a mile away. Mahatma Gandhi, the spiritual leader in India, he was apparently asked by uh, some missionaries, he was asked this question, what is the greatest hindrance to Christianity in India? And he simply replied, Christian. Ouch. Nobody wants to, no, nobody wants to trash God's name by the way we live. But don't think that we should Maybe the answer is we should lower the bar in favor of being real. I know that authenticity is a valuable currency with younger generations right now. Like don't, don't give us fake. Don't give us this airbrushed, I never make mistakes. I don't smoke and I don't chew and I don't girl, go with girls who do. And I'm just like this picture-perfect little Christian. We don't want that. We want to we wanna, we wanna be real with people. But can I just, can I just like, say we need to be really careful there because some believers have so bought into being real that authenticity has replaced holiness. And you just got to know that it is foolish to think that, that if we could just show people in our culture that Christians can be just like everybody else in, in, in what we do and, and what we say and what we consume and what we watch, and the only difference really is that we don't sleep in on uh, on Sundays. If we, if we could just do that, that then somehow our, that will make our message more attractive to people. But if more and more believers are blending in so well with the culture that you really can't see any distinction, that is not reason to celebrate. Because what does Paul say? 
I want you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. That's not who you are anymore. And all that he's told us in chapter 1 through 3, chapter 1, he told us that God chose you. He predestined you for adoption as sons. Your creator, the king of kings, has adopted you into his royal family. He has given you this rich inheritance in Christ. Live like it. And if that wasn't enough, chapter 2, verse 1, he told you, you were dead. You remember that? You were dead in your trespasses and sins. This is the way you used to live. You were following the world. You were following the devil. You were hopelessly trapped by your own passions and lusts. Do you remember that? You were in a sorry state with these awesome little words there. But God, but God made us alive together in Christ. This is who you are now. Don't live like that. We want to walk in obedience to him. We want to move our feet because of who we are in Christ and in response to what he's done. We want to walk worthy of his calling. So we walk worthy when we move our feet. And then this, we walk worthy when we move as one. Move as one. Remember, Paul is not just talking to uh, individuals here, right? Uh, this, is, this is not just an individual personal exhortation. He's talking to the whole church. He's saying, we want to move our feet. We want to walk worthy uh, together. Can you just look around for just a minute? Look around at every, everybody in here. Um, do you know that we have something special? God's Spirit is at work here in our church. Look at how He's brought us together. And so, verses 2 and 3 tell us that we really need to guard this unity. And then verses 4 through 6 give us the grounds for that unity. But look at what He says in verse 3 there. I want you to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That word maintain is translated in the King James uh, as keep, or the New American Standard says to preserve. It means to, to guard something, to watch over it. So here's what he's saying. He's not saying, listen, listen. He's not saying, I need you guys to come together. What he's saying is, Jesus has already brought us together. We just need to keep it up. We need to protect the unity that is ours in Christ. Do you remember he already said this in chapter 3? He said, chapter 2, he told us we are reconciled. Chapter 3, he said, this is the mystery. Chapter 2, he told us who Jesus is. Jesus is our peace who has made us both one and he has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility and he has reconciled us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. The cross has made a massive difference in the way that we relate to one another. And then in chapter 3, he told us that the mystery is that the Gentiles are, are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the, of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Remember the Jews and the Gentiles, they didn't get along. Man, they're like fighting, they're arguing, they're going at it. They hated one another. But the cross of Jesus has brought us together. There's no more hostility. And God has done this. You see the, you see the diversity that is represented in our church? Because of the cross of Christ, we have unity in our diversity. But that doesn't mean that we always live like it. That doesn't mean that we always walk worthy, that we always move as one. I think about when I was watching my son's basketball season, and um, 
it was awesome to see these little guys and they're learning how to play the game. And sometimes there would be a loose ball. And you love to see the little guys like hustling for it. They're going after it. And sometimes this would happen where two little guys are like fighting over the ball. They're trying to get it. But the problem is, the problem is, you know what the problem is, right? Problem is, same team. You can hear the coach from all the way across the, I, I heard you, same team. I just wonder how often God is up in heaven and he's watching all of us in the church and we're picking at one another. We're fighting, we're arguing with one another. We're, we're taking shots at other believers. Maybe it's on Facebook. Maybe it's the church across the street. We're eating at one another and God is up in his throne saying, same team. How many of you guys want to guard what we have here? We have something special, and I want to keep it up. So how do we do that? How do we, how do we, how do we walk as, and move as one guarding this unity? Well, he's told us here, verse 2. Look at verse 2. Here's a whole lot of characteristics that we need to make sure that we have here. Here's one. With all humility. So you know, this selfish pride is like the fastest way to tear apart the unity of the Spirit, right? Uh, many of you have seen on ESPN, you've seen a guy named Herm Edwards. Love that guy. He's a lot of fun. Uh, but when he was uh, actually hired to be the coach of the Kansas City Chiefs, he said this, the players that play on this football team will play for the name on the side of the helmet, not on the name on the back of the jersey. It's really simple, isn't it? We cannot move as one together if you think you're better than all of us and you're in it for yourself. And i got to be careful of this too. I can't just be thinking about me, think that I'm more important. Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Are you, are, are, am I willing to basically look at you and say, you know what, you're better than me. You are more important than me. I'm putting you before me because humility guards our unity. So if you're coming to harvest, or you're coming to your small group for just what you can get out of it, your number one priority is like how you feel or getting your needs met, then you are putting our unity in jeopardy. and You're not helping us move as one. But we want to, humility is when I am so concerned for you and your walk with Christ. I want you to walk worthy. I want you to move your feet in obedience to the Bible. Hey, can I ask you, like, wh who, who is it right now that's in our church that you have been trying to encourage lately? That you, maybe, maybe you've been calling them, maybe you text them, or maybe you're reaching out to them, maybe you're meeting with them. And, and you're, you're so concerned about their walk with Christ. You put their relationship with the Lord, you're, you're putting their needs as, as prioritized over your own. They're like, I care about how you're doing. I want to encourage you. Is there somebody that you're doing that with? We want to demonstrate this kind of Humility that will guard our unity. So we need humility. And then in the text, verse 2, there's also gentleness. That word could also be translated meekness. Not a word that we use very often, but I use it to say this. Here's what it's not. It's not weakness. Okay? Now, those words don't seem very powerful, but really what he's talking about is power under control. This is when someone hurts you, when somebody gets in your grill, but the power of the Holy Spirit enables you to instead be calm and 
kind and forgiving, not retaliating or trying to get even, not easily rattled or, or, or ready to fight. Listen, I know that the temptation, this whole like walk worthy thing, like I get it. If, if, if it was just like me and Jesus, if I could just worry about just me and Jesus, that would be a whole lot easier, wouldn't it? But then I have to deal with all you guys. That's where it gets tough. I actually saw this a couple, a couple times this week, twice. I, I walked into a bank and yesterday we walked into a store where the employees were like fighting and arguing with one another, like right in front of us. Like, demonstrates what? Division, not unity. And it really makes the company look bad. Hey, come on, church. We want to move as one. Walk in gentleness and unity together. So with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Should we just skip over this part? Does anybody want to like just skip over the patience thing? All, like, should we take a vote? I, I would like to skip over this. Can I, can I just be honest with you? It can be really tough to deal with me. Because I struggle to walk worthy. I struggle to move my feet in obedience to God's word. And some of you know that. And, and, and the problem is, I am not going to move fast enough. I'm not going to change fast enough for you. I have a gift for being exasperating. Some of you share this gift with me. Here's what patience is. Patience is allowing them to not get it right the first time. Or the third time. Or even the seventh time. Patience has a long fuse. Even when it's tempting to just be ticked off. Anybody ever ran a, a, a three-legged race you ever ran in a three-legged race before? You know where you're like one leg is like tied to somebody else. So I just want you to imagine, okay? You're like tied to this person and, and somehow you got stuck with somebody that just can't seem to get it together, okay? You're trying to run, but they like fall over. Now they're on the ground and you're just stuck with them. Well, that's what it's like to try to move as one with brothers and sisters in the church sometimes. I'm just telling you, there are some people and the temptation is just going to drag them along, right? Like, and believe I have to deal with this. But here's patience. Patience and bearing with one another in love is the willingness to come. I, I, like, I get it. I know. It's okay. I'm here. And I still want you with me. I still want you here. Now, why would we do that? Well, look at what it says in the text. With patience, bearing with one another in We're striving to be a church that when we say you are loved, we mean it. The reason that I'm willing to make allowances for the fact that I get it, you're not always going to get it right. I want you to move your feet. I want you to move your feet in obedience, but we're still here. I know you're going to struggle. I'm hoping you're going to be patient with me because I love you. It's hard enough when your leg's tied to one person. And you just like imagine we're all kind of tied together. We're family. And the reason that we're moving together as one is because we love. Verse 3, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. One more time, I want you to just look around. Look around the people next to you. Can I just tell you, this is not the enemy. I know some of you may feel like that, but this is not the enemy. In Christ. 
We have been adopted as sons, children of God. We are brothers and sisters. And there's no hostility. We've been brought together. We are reconciled. So we're not at war. We're not fighting. We have, we have peace. Just look how he's brought us together. I am very aware that I could destroy what we have here. I could destroy the unity that we have with my attitudes and my actions and my words. God help us. You want to help us guard this? We want to guard our unity. And then quickly, here's the grounds for unity. Verse 4. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called, the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. It's almost creedal, isn't it? One body, that's His church. One Spirit, the Holy Spirit indwelling all believers. As chapter 1, He said, He is the guarantee of our inheritance. That's our one hope. Our eyes are fixed on the glory of our hope in Jesus until we all acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Chapter 1, verse 14. There's one Lord, verse 5. Jesus Christ. That's why we lift high the name of Jesus in worship, in unashamed adoration. One faith. That's our belief and faith in Christ founded on the truth of the Bible. That's why we proclaim the authority of God's Word without apology. One baptism. Being baptized in water. That's our public confession of our faith in Jesus. It's just identifying, I belong with Christ. I belong with His church. And one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all because in Christ we've been adopted as sons and God gets all the glory. You want to walk worthy? Come on, it's time to get moving. Do you want to walk worthy? We want to move in obedience in response to God's Word. But we're not just doing this on our own. We want to do it together. We want to move as one. This is who we are in Christ. And who we are determines how we live. So we walk worthy. So here's what I want you to do. Would you take your Bibles? I want you to stand. You just take your Bibles. We haven't done this in a while. But we are going to declare, this is my Bible. This is a way. We're going to hold it up. you got your Bible in your hand. I realize that maybe some of you have it on your phone. You can hold that up. We'll count it. This is a way for us to say, I love this word. I believe this. We believe it. We want to obey it. When God's word says it, that settles it. And uh, it's not just me. We want to do it together. So why don't you hold your Bibles up. We're going to just declare this together as we say this with me. This is my Bible. I am who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I am going where it says I will go. God's Word is milk for my soul. God's Word is seed for my faith. God's Word is light for my path. God's Word is power for my victory. God's Word is freedom for my life. When I read God's Word, it brings me joy. When I study God's Word, it keeps me from shame. When I memorize God's Word, it purifies my heart. When I quote God's Word, it defeats my enemies. When I meditate on God's Word, it brings me success. When I abide in God's Word, it gives me confidence. I am a Bible-believing follower of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, 